Welcome to the Presentation Boss Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Kate Norris. And I'm Thomas Craft. Whether you're pitching your business, speaking at a work meeting, or on the stage, we're here to help you present with clarity and confidence. Welcome to this week's episode of the podcast. Today we are having a chat with Joshua Marotti. He's an electrical engineer by day, a budding entrepreneur by night, and a storyteller always. And Kate and I are working with Josh to produce a storytelling show. So welcome to the podcast, Joshua. Thanks for having me. So on this episode, we're going to introduce you to Joshua and get to know him a little bit. And then I think we're going to have a little bit of a discussion around storytelling and the show that we produce. So let's get started. So we've got Josh on to talk about storytelling, which is, of course, a very important part of speaking. Josh knows a lot about storytelling. As we said, we run an event with Josh based on storytelling. So first question, Josh... Why are you interested in storytelling? How did you get started? Uh, I really enjoy speaking and sharing stories with people. I have been doing Toastmasters for several years and I've kind of found that my natural tendency when speaking to crowds is to uh, rely on storytelling. It's something I really enjoy doing and I find it it's a very effective way of communicating with an audience. So why do you think the ability to tell stories effectively is so important? I think that storytelling is one of the most effective forms of communicating and connecting with an audience. Uh, And that can be in a personal setting, sitting around a dining room table, at the pub, around a campfire, uh, or it could be professionally as well at work and in presentations. So I think learning the skills of storytelling can really set you apart from the crowd. Yes, I agree. Um, For me, I believe stories are a great way to connect with someone when you've got something that's, you know, relevant. Like sharing your experiences with someone is one of the best ways to connect. Mm, Exactly. In terms of a business sense, how are stories used? How are they useful? I think anytime you want to communicate a message uh, or get a team to help you with a project or a process... A storytelling can be a very effective way of getting that across, more so than just putting up uh, a, a mission statement or some facts and figures yeah. or a graph. <laughs> Having an actual story to go along with that on on why we want to hit these targets this month and why it's important that we all band together around this project. Uh, having those stories is an effective way of getting people on board for those things. Yes, for sure. Because we know that one of the best ways to persuade and to... Um, get people on board with us is to connect emotionally, not just with facts, figures. Mm. And storytelling is a perfect way to connect on that level. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. When we've talked about pathos in a presentation, which is the appeal to emotions, uh, and there's a good reason that we see stories in like every TED talk, every speech, and every uh, keynote presentation that basically you'll ever see. If we think back again to kind of caveman days, storytelling was used as a way to warn people or teach them. Um, men would tell stories of, I don't know, like saber-toothed tigers and and teach, like they would, they would teach the young ones you know, what you need to look out for. And similarly, I'm generalizing massively here, but you know, the women would tell stories about how to cook, how to do all of the things that shape modern life. It was either that or it was visual, it was through through imagery, right? Mm. And so we still do that today. When you're telling a story to a child, it's always we connect as children with there's going to be visual imagery. So if you're talking to adults, you kind of don't have a choice, but your brain imagines that. Storytelling adds imagery to your mind. It's why it's so persuasive. It's more than just language. 
So what is the difference between a story and a presentation then? So I think a story is giving you one point of reference. It's giving you uh, one personal experience. Mm -hmm. But when you are expanding that into a presentation, you're probably going to want some additional points of reference to give people an understanding of where else this understanding will be important and uh, give them some extra tools to uh, help them utilize this uh, that may not have been relevant in your one particular story. The way I like to think about it is uh, it could be often good to add a story in to help support the material that you're trying to deliver. So you'll have maybe some facts, figures, anecdotes, but also potentially a story in there as well. So in my mind, stories fit within a presentation to help hold up the persuasive and entertainment value of that presentation. Hmm. So let's talk about the events that we produce. It's called Life Out Loud Storytelling. And Joshua, do you want to talk about where that came from, where the idea to start Life Out Loud Storytelling, where its genesis was? As I said before, I've done other public speaking events in the past, but I was looking for somewhere to really practice just the pure art of storytelling. And I think uh, the moth is a very well-known international yeah. community of storytellers and storytelling events. And I was really excited to get along to some moth shows uh, until I went onto their website and found that they weren't in Brisbane and they weren't planning to come here anytime soon. And so after a couple of weeks of disappointment, I uh, decided to reach out to a couple of good friends and see if we could start our own storytelling show. Cool. So tell us about The Moth. What is The Moth? Mm. So The Moth is an organisation, uh, international organisation dedicated to the art of storytelling and they have live uh, shows which you can uh, come in, put your name in a hat and just come and tell a story and they have a kind of a structured competition process to go along with that as well, uh, which the, the more competitive of us uh, <laughs> can appreciate. Um, but it's just a place to come and tell a story with no other motivations or risks or contexts. Uh, so, and I think that's something that a lot of people can appreciate. And it's in front of a live audience. Yes. Um, just a microphone on a stand in front of a live audience. Yeah. I think personally what I like about The Moth is there's no pitching. Often you go to oh, yes. public speaking events and you just get a pitch for someone's business. Mm. I think I like the purity of yes. The Moth. Is just... Yes, you know, there's no sales, there's no cross-promotion. It's just a human experience. Yep. Yeah, you just get people sharing. Yep. Tell us then, how does a Life Out Loud storytelling event work? Uh, so Life Out Loud Storytelling, we take the same essence of that uh, communication and art of storytelling, but a lot of it is prepared works. So we get aspiring storytellers to send us an idea and uh, we can then work with them to kind of craft that idea and craft their own confidence to be mm. ready to mm. stand up on stage and share that story with an audience. So I'm interested, why do you have people submit a story? Why do they get coached? I think it's just important. A lot of people have lots of great ideas in their head and they need to kind of bring them together to one concise uh, idea that's relevant for the audience. But it's also worth keeping in mind that this is a live show. So you do want the show to be practiced, rehearsed uh, and, and of good quality for the audience as well. But also we find if you just put somebody on a stage and tell them to talk, it's generally not going to end well because it's just it can be a, a difficult experience. So when you've got people who are prepared and know what they're about to share uh, and have, have worked through that process, it's so much better for both the storyteller and the audience. 
Uh, also, as well as that on the night, sometimes you come along to enjoy the show and then you have this burning idea <laughs> and you really want to get up there and do it yourself. Uh, so we also usually have a couple of wild cards thrown in there as well. So people who, who get really excited during the first half of the show can put their names in a hat and come up and, and give it a go for themselves in the second half. So what can an audience member expect to come and watch on the night? So storytellers telling true personal stories uh, that are that are coherent and it's one coherent story it's not a series of one-liners or anything yeah. like that so not a stand-up comedy routine yeah not it's um, a very different thing from stand-up yeah so because I'm the MC at the event some of the things I talk to the storytellers about is obviously I'll introduce them so they're prepared we know who they're going to be and what order they'll be in I think the big identifier of, of a life out loud storytelling event is that it is, like you said, pure storytelling. It's connection. So we put people on a stage, the microphone stays in the stand all night, and they're just in a spotlight. So the audience can uh, watch a storyteller and connect with their story rather than sort of seeing a full presentation or theatrics or anything like that. All right, so let's get into storytelling then. What makes a good story? A story, it has to be personal. It has to be uh, something, a story that you've experienced yourself mm-hmm. and uh, it has to be something that is meaningful to you as well as that relatable to the audience. So you want to be picking up on something that the audience can really get behind and kind of understand your horrors or elation or excitement or anything like that. You want it to be relatable to the audience as well. I think another important point is for stories to be concise. You only want to pick out the important details of a story so that you're not overloading the audience and so that the meaning of that doesn't get lost in all of the extra details. Yes, I think we've all been in the situation where we've had a story that just will not end. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so if you just kind of jump right to the action and finish as soon as you've learnt what you're going to learn from it, uh, that's a great way to just keep it nice, short and sharp and enjoyable for the audience. Mm. I think another important thing is to really try and relive your stories on stage as opposed to rehearsing and telling the audience. You don't want to list the incredible things that happened to you. You want to be standing on stage, visualising that moment, uh, reliving that excitement or terror and really expressing that to the audience in the most honest way you can. Because that kind of comes back to the connection that we were talking about earlier Mm. when you relive it, you're... Your emotion is, is what connects with people. Yeah, the, and the audience can feel that. They can hear yeah. that and they can see it in your face, in your eyes. So that certainly builds that connection. Yeah. Uh, another slightly more obscure point that a lot of people don't recognise straight away is, is the most effective stories are usually when you're not the hero of your own story. How do you mean by that? I think it's a it's a natural human kind of reaction to things is that People like underdog stories and um, it, it kind of, it feels a bit weird to be kind of tooting your own horn and standing up on stage and talking about how, how good you are. That's, mm. that's not a natural human thing. You wouldn't, you wouldn't sit at the pub and tell your sto- that story to your friends. And so it's, it sounds a little weird on the stage. So I think the most effective stories are ones where um, you struggle a little bit or you don't end up winning at the end of the day, but you learnt something really valuable in the process. 
I think maybe learning something is more admirable than always winning. Yeah, I think that's that's more natural and that's um, something that the audience can connect with. Yep, yep. I think there's a difference between doing an amazing feat or having an amazing success and that becoming an amazing story. Yeah. Yes, you can you can admire someone for something uh, without necessarily enjoying the story of how it happened. Mm. Yes. Yeah, nice. So you talked earlier about it having to be relatable. How is that different from to being the hero? So if you're thinking of, say, a story of an elite athlete uh, going and climbing Mount Everest and the, maybe some of the trials and tribulations that go along with that, uh, there could be some great stories in there. And certainly there are a lot of great like, keynote speakers that have had those types of experiences. But that feat in itself is not something that is relatable to me. I'm not going to become suddenly inspired to go and (laughs) climb Mount Everest. So the key in those scenarios is finding a detail out of there that is applicable to everyone and they can use that kind of in their day-to-day lives. It's just a an aspect of that story that's relevant to the whole audience. Yeah. When you've got a big feat like climbing Everest, because it's it's difficult to relate to that. So to make it relatable, you're looking for you're looking for a single incident, a single. Uh, you could think of it as a moment, right? So a single incident that happened. Yeah, definitely. So I think that leads us straight into the question: What does a good story need? So I think, like what you were just saying, is that you need some moment of transformation uh, that. That moment in the story where you've you've had a struggle or you've had some excitement or something's happened and it kind of all sticks. You kind of have that moment where you realise that you have always done something one way and you might realise why that happened and change your ways. Uh, and that that moment is usually the perfect end of a story. That that's mm. that's the conclusion. That's that's the moment where it's all come together. So for me, that sounds like it has to have a point, like it has to have a reason for... Yes, so that that transformation would be kind of the purpose of your story. That would be the meaning of your story is is going on that journey and having that realisation. Yeah, so what's what's a good example of a story that does not have a transformation? So I guess your travel stories would probably be your key experiences here where you jump up on stage and you have a big deck of PowerPoint slides has got a a photo on everyone and you go, this was my itinerary on day one, we went here and on day two, we went here and we saw this and we ate that. And then at the end of the story, you just kind of go and then we came home and that was great. And you go and sit back down again. There was, there was no life learning there. There was probably a multitude of fantastic story opportunities experienced Mm. in that holiday. But the, the list of the itinerary and the photos is not one of those stories. That, that does not convey any connection to the audience in, in a moment of, of transformation. And I think looking for those moments of transformation boils us down from that one big sort of itinerary regurgitation mm. to, I was at this place at this time, these couple of things happened, and I realised this, or I changed my thinking very slightly. <sighs> yeah, I think that, that is what makes a good story. Mm. All right, so that's transformation is the first thing that a story needs. What else does it need? 
one of the main points that the moth makes in their their tips and tricks is to have stakes and it's something that we think is essential as well mm. and it's uh you need to get across to the audience what it is that you have to gain or lose in this moment and that's that's how you build that uh, suspense and tension in the room and the importance of this moment in your life uh, yeah. is really setting up uh, what, what it means to you in that moment. So we've got transformation stakes and is there anything else that a good story needs? Uh, you need to have the audience being able to picture you in that moment. So I'd say the third thing would be to have scenes hmm. uh, in your story. So start off and, and set the scene, let, let the audience imagine in their minds uh, where you are and what you're doing. And uh, I think within that, it's important to set up some, some characters and some actions. So you want to know uh, who's there, what's happening, and start with a bang. Yeah. And often in storytelling, the details of that image are not important. So if I say... It's summertime and I'm in my grandmother's kitchen and she's serving out lunch onto the table. Like I guarantee you have a picture of what grandma's kitchen looks like, um, where the table is and, you know, what she looks like and maybe even what city and what summer looks like for you. So the details aren't super important, but you have set up a scene in the mm. audience member's mind that they can then play this story in. Yeah, if it's not important to your story uh, where the dining room table is in relation to the bench, then there isn't any need to go into that much detail as long as the audience has some point of reference to, to go to in their mind. Yeah, but it is important to have those scenes where the action is taking place and the characters are occupying space. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about the biggest common problem that you see when people are telling stories. So I know personally for me is stories that don't have a point. It's nearly always that story that ends in, so, yeah. It just sort of, what have you done to justify the act of speaking? What was the point, sort of, of this story? You need to have some sort of end result or learning to a story, regardless of how entertaining it may be. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Uh, assuming you're already doing all of those good things in storytelling that we talked about before, I'd say one thing that uh, kind of irks me is when people jump out of their story for a second, when they give us some informational knowledge that they gained after the fact that wasn't there during that moment, it kind of, it makes a whole audience kind of question what moment of time they're in. They, they are no longer in the action of the story. They're thinking about how it all worked out in the end. Mm -hmm. So I would say just try and peel all of that back, just relive that moment and tell us what you knew and what you experienced in that moment. I guess for me, what I dislike in a story is too much detail, a story that is kind of seven times as long as it needs to be. And I guess I see this with my five-year-old <laughs> who tells a story. I think, like, is she going to be finished this story by next year? Because I get like a second-by-second second recall of every single thing that happens. And and we see adults do it as well, yeah. where you get blow-by-blow blow of everything and there's no decision been made about what gets kept in the story and what is removed. Mm. There's no thinking about what's actually important to the point of my story. There's no curation of the facts. Unfortunately, not every detail is important and relevant. Or relevant, yeah. Yeah, and, and sometimes they're, they're really crazy and fun and exciting details, but if they're not relevant to the main point of the story, they probably shouldn't be there. Uh, and, and we know with any presentation, and especially with storytelling, is 
there's a lot of decisions to make. Do I keep this detail in or do I kick this detail out? Yeah, and that just reminded me, it goes back to right at the right at the start when we said why is it important to uh, plan out these stories ahead of time to have a have an idea and coach through it work through it is is exactly that making those decisions and the other thing is time you can't Mm. be giving a 10 minute story if you've only like at life out loud storytelling events you've only got eight minutes you've got to make some decisions about the details that unfortunately are just not either important or relevant yep exactly So I'm interested to hear, Joshua, what's the best advice you have for first-time storytellers, somebody looking to get into storytelling? I'd definitely recommend trying to get along to a a live storytelling show. So something like The Moth, if The Moth is in your city. Uh, If you're in Brisbane, you can come along to Life Out Loud Storytelling uh, and just just kind of get an idea of the atmosphere and, and how these uh, events work because these events are, are the purest form of spoken storytelling. So I think that's a great place to start. Yeah. So if someone's unable to get to an event, is there any other way that you would suggest that they could learn about storytelling? There are lots of resources uh, online. There's one one podcast that I really enjoy is uh, Speak Up Storytelling. Oh, yep. It's by Matthew and Alicia Dix and they they run their own storytelling show. And they actually sit down and analyze some of the speeches from their shows and kind of teach you what worked out of them and what could be improved for for next time. And I I find that a great resource for hearing some great stories and some great breakdowns as well. Well, that maybe answers the question that we ask all of our guests, which is what is a book or resource that you would recommend? Yeah, that podcast is something that has certainly inspired me a lot. Uh, but as as for a one go-to resource, uh, Matthew Dix, who runs that uh, podcast, has written a book which is called Storyworthy, and uh, it's a great resource for finding and and telling your best stories. So I'd certainly recommend uh, that I, I keep a digital copy with it on my phone at all times <laughs> so I can always like scroll through and flip through if I need to, need to find some advice on something. An emergency book. Yeah. The other question we always ask everybody is, where can people find you? Uh, well, I'd, I'd direct them to our Life Out Loud storytelling website. So lifeoutloud.com.au or search Life Out Loud on Facebook. And we have uh, all of the details of our upcoming shows and um, our own contact details on the website. So uh, when and where is the next Life Out Loud storytelling event? So the next show is Friday the 18th of October. Tickets are just $15 and it's in the Brisbane CBD. Uh, we do actually base each of our stories around a theme to give storytellers uh, kind of something to all base their stories around to find ideas. So the theme for the next show is Stay, stories about perseverance and commitment. Uh, our last event did sell out, so I definitely recommend jumping on there and buying your tickets soon. I'm looking forward to it. So I'll let you know, listeners, that if you stick around after the outro of today's episode, we're going to play one of the stories from our last event here in Brisbane. The theme of that show was beginnings, fresh starts and new ideas. You're going to hear from Anna Rasmussen at Life Out Loud Storytelling in August 2019. Thank you, Josh, so much for coming on our podcast and having a chat to us about Life Out Loud Storytelling. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's show. We'd love for you to leave us a review on iTunes. If you'd like to know more, check out presentationboss.com.au slash podcast, where you'll find show notes for today with links to everything we've discussed. If you have a recommendation for someone you'd love to hear from in this show, or think you have something of value you'd like to share, send us an email 
at podcast at presentationboss.com.au. We're always happy to hear your thoughts and take suggestions for future episodes. Most importantly, we rely on you to share the information in this podcast. If you found value in today's episode, please recommend us to a friend. Have a great week. Ladies and gentlemen, please make very welcome Anna Rasmussen. Back in 2010, I was at a crossroads in my life and I decided that I would travel to Canada. Um, I traveled there to be a summer camp counselor and I worked for Tim Horton's Children's Foundation. Um, At the foundation, we took children from disadvantaged families and took them through a 10-day camp where we gave them an endless amount of fun, accomplishment and some epic adventures like rock climbing in the Rocky Mountains, hiking in the Rocky Mountains, whitewater rafting and a horseback ride camp out. Um, On the overnight camp out, We ate pasta for dinner and then we fried hot dogs and s'mores on the fire, um, on the open fire. So after dinner, all the kids helped to clean the dishes. And my suggestion of maybe everybody helping to clean the dishes was just a little bit too much for this one little girl and it tipped her over the edge. And she just ran. She ran straight up the hill, um, off the beaten track. So... When she decided that it was a little bit too much, uh, the forest was a bit too much for her, she stormed back past us and then decided that she would walk in the opposite direction of camp up the horse trail. So for me, this was very, very exciting. I met my first Michael Bolton. In our training, we were told code names for different problem scenarios and we were to say them over the radio just in case any listening ears were listening, just in case they heard what was going wrong at the camp. In the case of a Michael Bolton, we were to go together as camp counsellors to follow the child to keep a safe dif- distance um, just in case they would run even further because what happens when you chase a dog? It keeps running. Um Same thing when a child is heightened and is on survival mode. So at the time of evening that this little girl ran off was, it was at dusk, Um, we were in Canada, I was slightly worried about bears and moose and elk and all the things that Canada brings. Um, And most importantly, cougars, which are terrifying, So what after seemed like forever, the other camp counsellor and I were purposefully following at a pretty significant distance and chatting about something totally unrelated because it had been forever and we were walking forever. She just kept going. And this cougar came out of nowhere. And I'm just kidding. My story is not that funny. (laughs) So, So our Michael Bolton, she stopped at a creek and... She just started throwing rocks at the water and we sat on a log watching her and we thought, should we go over? And eventually I worked up the courage that I would go over and she wouldn't run off again. So I walked up and I picked up a rock and I said, look, this is a flat one. If you throw it really fast and you skim it across the water, it'll bounce. 
So I did it and she, she enjoyed it and eventually she worked up the courage to um, play the game with me and we were just sitting there chatting and skimming rocks across the water and count, counting all of the bounces and after a while she started taking to me and completely forgot that she took us on this wild goose chase through the wilderness. Um, it was at the moment that I felt a really strong sense of accomplishment when she just decided that she was over it. Um, we didn't talk about what she did wrong or how dangerous it was that she ran off into the bush. Um, she didn't need to hear that at that point in time. So we wandered back along the horse trail, back to camp, and talked about all the nice things we did that day, all the things we had to look forward to the next day. And at that point in time, I just felt this powerful sense of purpose and direction. Um, I turned a really hard situation into a meaningful one for one child. What if I could do that for multiple? Today, I'm a teacher. That moment brought a new beginning for me, and funnily enough, I teach kids to run. <laughs> but if I, if they ever do try to run off on me, I just stand there and look at them and think, give us your best shot, Michael Bolton. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>